Welcome to our show. This is going to be terrible. We're three friends hanging out, talking about whatever seems interesting at the time. Don't say we didn't warn you. We're not moving up our seats for this one, so scooting close. This week, we're talking about the Disney Plus show, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. If this is the first time that you're joining us, hi, I'm Nathan. Hi, I'm Robert. And pulling up the rear, I am James. <laughs> Falcon and the Winter Soldier released on March 19, 2021 on Disney+. Plus. It takes place six months after Steve Rogers hands Sam Wilson the shield during the events of Avengers Endgame. The show follows the team up of Sam Wilson, who is the Falcon, and Bucky Barnes, who is the Winter Soldier, as they handle a new threat and find their place in the new post-snap world. Let's begin by covering the cast and characters with our titular heroes. Our two titular heroes, as Nathan mentioned, is Sam Wilson as the Falcon, played by Anthony Mackie. We have Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier, played by Sebastian Stan. We have John Walker, the new Captain America, or spoiler alert, by the end of the show, U.S. agent, played by Wyatt Russell. We have the leader of the new baddies, the Flag Smashers, Carly Morgenthau, played by Aaron Kellyman. We have the return of Baron Zemo from Captain America Civil War, played by Daniel Bruhl. And we have Sharon Carter, played by Emily Van Camp. So all the characters we kind of know already, um, most of them anyway. We know Falcon, we know uh, Sam, we know Bucky, we we know Sharon, we've met Zemo before. Um, these characters we've met before, and I've loved them from the movies. I have no issues with these characters. I love spending more time with them here. I feel like we get to know Sam and Bucky a lot more in this show, and the performances by Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan shine through in these characters. They are fantastic, especially the dynamic between Anthony and Sebastian is just really great in these two characters of Sam and Bucky. The Baron Zemo, Daniel Bruhl, I loved him in Civil War. He's even better here. I love this, like, you know, in the show, it almost feels like we never really knew him. He feels like he still has the same ideals. He's still got the same objective that he had in Civil War. But you get to learn so much more about him than just that he is some person or soldier that was off when his family died in Sokovia. Um, there's a little bit more depth to his character in this show. And so I love kind of learning some of this, like, who is this guy? Where did he get all of this money? Like, but what is he all about other than wanting to get rid of all super soldiers? So it was pretty neat to see. Um, and I love Daniel Brule as an actor. So getting to see more of him in this show was fantastic. And where did he get such a crazy loyal butler? <laughs> right. <laughs> I need a butler like that, man. Sharon Carter, Emily Van Camp does just as good as she's done in um, all of her other parts in the various um, MCU movies. Uh, in this show, she did a she did a good job. The character so much was kind of a little bit all over the place for me. Things were just really weird. Like, is she good? Is she bad? Why is she bad all of a sudden? Uh, the timeline that we have, she was she was gone in the snap. And so we're back in the snap. So how did she accumulate the power that she has in so much time? So I don't know if this was really the fault. Of, I don't think this was definitely not the fault of Emily Van Camp. But and I know that there were, you know, in the Internet, there were some rumors of things that were changed in the story because of potential ties to COVID and stuff like that, the, that are a possibility that maybe have kind of messed things up a little bit with this character. So this character did not stand out as much as I had hoped that from what we had seen in the trailers leading up to this. Aaron Kellyman is Carly Morgenthau. I think she did a fine job. This is another one of those characters that seemed 
much more compelling in the trailers, but then there were some changes in the story that, you know, just made her seem a little less interesting by the, she kind of went from rebel with a cause to psycho murderer in the six episode span of this show. And I don't know if the arc followed that all too well. Uh, it reminded me a lot of, and I'm going to get a lot of, uh, probably going to get some comments on YouTube for this, but it reminded me a lot of game of Thrones Khaleesi's kind of arc in the show where everybody expected her to go a certain way. And then she goes mad in the last season and is completely, you know, different from who she was in the beginning of the show. Uh, very, very weird there. I kind of got that same vibe here where it was just kind of like started here, then turn it up to 11 really fast. Now, Wyatt Russell as John Walker, I think is probably one of the standout performances of the show. You get this a lot in some actors that like, they, it's like, um, again, going back to Game of Thrones, the actor that plays Joff Joffrey um, or the uh, actress that plays, I forget what her, her name is even in the show, but she plays Joffrey's mom, um, who is the queen at a one point. Uh, they're these actors that just, they do so well playing characters you love to hate. And so at first you're rooting for John Walker. He's a new Captain America. He's got a lot on his shoulders, but then he doesn't just like, you don't hate him because he screws it up. You hate him because like he had a chance to do the right thing and he did the completely wrong thing and just leaned into it way too much. And he just, he did such a great, great job with that performance. That character was really good playing just this going unhinged, letting the weight of the world kind of crush him instead of, you know, leaning into the support around him. He kind of just let it consume him and then turn him into something he never wanted to become in the first place. And I think he did such a great job with that. So this was an amazing casting choice. Yeah, I wanted to talk about casting first because during our recording of the Godzilla vs. Kong episode, I started seeing a lot of banter online about how people didn't like Wyatt Russell because of the character he played. And I just, I'm going to defend him till the day I die. Wyatt Russell's performance in this TV shows of John Walker was brilliant. And I went back and rewatched the, the six episodes this morning before we recorded this episode. And like, just knowing what was going to happen, I could see all the turmoil in his face as he's going through all these things and processing all this bad stuff that's like piling onto him over and over and over again as he's trying to do the right thing and trying to live up to the legacy of Captain America. And I just, that's why I think it's so important to establish that you can't, you have to separate the actors with the characters they play because there are characters that, or there are actors that you're going to love because they play a character that you hate and you can't really like hate on people because of their performance. And I know I was guilty of this when I was younger, when the prequel Star Wars movies came out, I just did not like some of the actors because I didn't like their characters. And that was a very toxic attitude I had for the longest time until I finally grew up and, and understood that it's not really necessarily their fault that they did a poor performance or their character was written poorly. And it just, that's why I'm, I'm going to hammer this in every time we talk about a character that we may not like. If the actor performed it well, you're not supposed to like them, you know? Yeah, Nathan, how dare you hate on Jake Lloyd? He did the best he could with the material Lucas gave him. <laughs> I love that that's how you, that's who you called out for that, because that's exactly who I didn't like. And oh, fact, sorry, I, sorry. I thought you assumed I was going to talk about Hayden Christensen's here. Nope. Who also had the same problem. Uh, he did have the same problem, but I've seen other movies that he's uh, acted in, 
And I actually do like him as an actor. It just, for those two movies, he wasn't that great of an actor, or rather his performance wasn't that great, but that's probably my own little issue. That's not the point. Um, but yeah, like the whole casting for this, these six episodes, I thought was wonderful. The people that I wanted to root for, that the people that I think the directors wanted us to root for, I rooted for. The people that they wanted me to hate, I hate it. And it just, you can't get much better than that. Yeah, no, I thought most of this cast was, was pretty good out of out of all the main characters. Obviously, Falcon and, and Bucky, we have a pretty good idea from because they've been in a good chunk of the of the more recent Marvel movies, the, the Captain America ones and the Avengers ones. So we already had a pretty good idea of what to expect from them. Uh, Wyatt Russell for, for John Walker. I, I thought he did a good job, but at the same time, story-wise, they, they rushed his redemption at the end, I think, personally. So maybe they could have, if they had more time to flesh this out, which is really saying something for, it may only be a six-episode series, but it's maybe around twice the length of what a normal Marvel movie would be. So I don't know. That's the type of thing that would have maybe been like, I don't know, in a third movie in a trilogy, maybe they would have redeemed him. Who's to say, really, if they had a little more time? Carly Morgenthau with Aaron Kellyman. Uh, I thought she did really good. I personally would have wanted more story for the Flag Smashers. I think I remember reading online, again, that there might have been some COVID things that kind of pushed some stuff to the side. And a lot of that stuff might have been the Flag Smasher stuff, because honestly... I was more interested in their story for a good chunk of it than the rest of it. And hopefully they're not starting to just typecast uh, Ms. Kellyman as a, you know, redheaded rebel freedom fighter because she did a similar role as Emfrey's Nest in Solo, A Star Wars Story. Mm. But yeah, overall, the, the cast as a whole w- was pretty good. I don't think too much stood out that was, you know, bad. Some honorable mentions in the cast that I don't want to make sure we miss here uh, are like Clay Bennett, who played Battlestar. John Walker's basically kind of like, I guess, almost, I don't know if it was high school buddy, but definitely like military buddy, sidekick of sorts. Um, Think of him as like Falcon to Steve Rogers' Captain America, right? He plays his sidekick. Which feels a little on the nose too. Yes, yes. (laughs) I, I, it's, if you, if you, you know, scope out a bit much and you don't have the backstory of them being high school or military friends or whatever, you'd almost think like, wait a minute, what are they doing here? Are they just giving them another black best friend because Captain America had one? That that felt a little weird at first. Yes, especially given that the show goes into some of, had leans into some of that a lot. But I think Clay Bennett did a good job. That character was was good for like a support system for John Walker, you know, bearing that weight of Captain America. Um, I think he did a good job and it was sad spoiler to see his character die off. I would have liked to have seen how he responded to John Walker having taken the super soldier serum uh, and kind of turning on, you know, on everybody there towards the end. I think it would have made his arc a little bit, maybe a little more interesting if there was, if his buddy was there to kind of like, maybe like walk him back or be there to experience, you know, him, his turn and everything would have made it maybe land a little bit deeper than just killing him off. But I think Clay Clay Bennett did a good job there. And then Carl Lumley as Isaiah Bradley, you know, I don't want to get 
too much into this, but it is this topic is definitely something that we need to see a lot more in mainstream media. The way they handle it in this show, I think, was very good. At first, I didn't like the way it was going into there. W- there was an article um, that had come out right after the first episode with Isaiah Bradley, where they were like Falcon and Winter Soldier did this thing where like it talked about racism in America too hard, but not like not enough, but too strong, came across too strong, but didn't do enough. And I feel like the next episode where he goes to see him with the shield and they kind of had that conversation about the, you really think that they're going to allow a black Captain America uh, kind of thing, like definitely like reverse that a bit. And it was a conversation they needed to have that we all needed to hear. Like, I remember sitting there just watching the episode and thinking like, wow, like, you know, it's sad that we have to get this, we have to have this conversation in a fictional show, but I'd rather have it at all than not have it at all, have it this way than not at all. And it was, it was neat to see him like, you know, to see someone who had been hurt by the way that, you know, this country and the world functions against people of color, but then have someone who he's telling like, you might as well give up. You're never gonna, they're never gonna have a black Captain America, basically giving into exactly what those in power want and seeing Sam at the end of the series kind of turn on and say, no, they're like, I am Captain America. Like not giving them the choice to make him Captain America, but taking that mantle on uh, regardless of what people thought of it. And I think Carl Lumbly did a great job playing that character, especially when he sees the result of what Sam did by charging on anyway. The performance was fantastic there. So I want to make sure that those those characters don't don't get overlooked. But yeah, real real quick, yeah, Carl Lumbly did a really good job with that. It, I didn't even realize it was him at first because I know he's getting up there in years. Like I've remembered seeing him back when uh, Alias was on in the early to mid 2000s and i think there was a couple 90s series that i remember him in too so he's he's been around for a while but they put enough old age makeup on him and it wasn't you know super super bad age makeup either but i didn't realize it was him at first i mean he did a really good job there and i like that they didn't instantly go down the well of like we know marvel likes to set up things comics wise his grandson eli who was in the show but i don't never have other than being in the credits i don't think i ever actually remember somebody saying hey eli or specifically calling him out but in the comics he has some accident and gets a blood transfusion from his grandfather and ends up getting superpowers and is a superhero for a while so everybody assumed online that maybe they were going to try to set that up. And while they could still in the future have these characters come back, I'm glad that they did not focus on that here. That might have been a bit much to, again, fill in with only six episodes of runtime. Yeah. And could have taken away from what Isaiah Bradley was really there for anyway. Taken away from his story by focusing on his his grandson. Okay, let's uh, let's go ahead and talk about like visuals and choreography of the fight scenes, a few that we did have throughout the series. I just want to start off. I loved the choreography, the the fight scenes we did get. Everything looked fluid and real. And the only real issue I had was in the very first episode when he when the um, the hatch on the plane gets pulled off, and nothing really happens inside the cabin. Like they're all still fighting as if they have like atmosphere in there and it's like no you should be like flying out the plane right now why are you guys just standing there but that was the only thing that really bugged me about any of the fighting that was going on throughout the the whole show and as far as visuals i love the look of 
especially the one town Madripoor, I think they went to. Man, what a unique way to like just visually show a city, a country even that is just like like the physical manifestation of the black market. And it was lit up, you know, like there are mm-hmm. so many neon lights everywhere, but it still felt very unnerving to watch them walking through this, this city and knowing that they could like die at any moment if somebody just decided they wanted to get that they wanted to jump our heroes. I, I just need Baron, Baron Zemo to teach me some of them dance moves. <laughs> I enjoy the visuals here. The fight choreography was good. Some of the fights you know, we're all right. My favorite by far is the confrontation between uh, Sam, Bucky, and John Walker when they go to take the shield from him. Uh, that was by far the best fight, the best choreography. You felt every punch, every kick, every hit was so visceral. Uh, the choreography was great. It, rem- it felt so much like between Cap, Bucky, and uh, Tony Stark in Civil War. Like it mirrored that fight so well. And it was, it was fantastic. Like I really enjoyed that one the most. Otherwise the, the show looks fantastic for something being produced for television. Um, You know, it's a streaming series. So the rules are technically a little different, but you know, I thought the show looked fantastic. I thought all of the CG work on Bucky's arm was great Uh, on the wings, both on the Falcon suit and spoiler alert on the Captain America suit. Uh, at the end were fantastic um, and looked great. I had no issues with the visuals here. And Madripoor was really neat looking and really striking. The neon lights are really neat. I was waiting for Godzilla and King Kong to tear out the town, duking it out like they were in their movie. Yeah, you, you mentioned it being a you know TV series, even if it's a streaming series or something, but it does really show that when you have the power of the Disney money pumping through Marvel, the estimated budget, I think, for this series, I just looked it up, was 150 million. So you got to figure that's an average of 25 million per episode, and it really shows, like that opening action sequence in the the valley or whatever with Falcon was, you know, it was really good. It was a nice showcase. So yeah, all all the visuals were pretty good. Nothing really stood out to me as like, you know, looking super fake. I know obviously this is a show so everything is fake but it felt you know like a real world sort of i don't know hard to describe but yeah again it shows you what can happen when you have money to throw behind things does anybody want to give us a high budget (laughs) even just an editor (laughs) we'll put some cgi armor on nathan uh let's go ahead and just uh, move on to our last little topic talking about the story and possible expectations Um, And I kind of lumped this together because like my expectations for the show was about the story. For instance, I was expecting the show to help demonstrate how Sam came to terms with being the next Captain America, which is definitely a story element. I expected it to be more actiony than WandaVision was, which I know a lot of people had a bit of a problem with how WandaVision was not really action related. Like a lot of the Marvel cinematic movies are. And I was also kind of hoping they would help throw up or throw into um, the next big baddie for the, the next phase of the Marvel movies, which I know they're not going to show who it is necessarily yet, but I was kind of hoping they would help throw the pieces into place with that. And I think they kind of are with the Thunderbolts because I'm pretty sure U.S. agent is one. And I think um, 
Agatha from WandaVision was a Thunderbolt for a little while or something like that. So it's kind of like the maneuvering pieces into place. And I like that. That's what I was hoping for. And that's what I was expecting. That's kind of what we're getting. I, of course, um, Sam comes to terms with being the next Captain America. He fights it the entire series until basically the last episode. And it was nice seeing him go through that struggles and for them to flesh out why he felt the way he did and why he turned down the shield to begin with and just turn it into a museum only for it to be get thrown at John Walker by the government. And then going back to what Robert was saying about the whole talk we had about race relations, I, I really think that helps set everything up to show why the next Captain America can be black, you know, should be black. And I don't want to downplay any of the speeches that Isaiah Bradley or Sam did about the topic. Uh, if you haven't seen the series yet, that's really great. And I would do it a disservice by trying to sum up any of it. But it, it blew me away with my expectations because I wasn't expecting a whole racial relation talk. And that's pretty much what a third of the entire series was. And that's fine because we need that nowadays. Yeah, the story, what was I expecting going into this? I, I mean, I, I guess I wasn't expecting a whole lot. I was just along for the ride. Uh, the trailer didn't give us a whole lot to you know glean from what the show was going to cover. We knew we were going to get some action. We were going to get a lot of banter between Sam and Bucky, and we got all of that. So from what the trailer, you know, showed us that we were going to get, I think it delivered. I didn't have any huge expectations for the story. Um, I agree with Nathan. You know, you just should definitely watch the show for some of that stuff regarding race relations. I think there's a lot of great things that it has to say there about that and a conversation that everybody should have, um, even even without the show, but the show does a great place to start the conversation. I think uh, if you're not sure where to begin, you know, it may be a good way to get you some ideas or talking points and, and talk to each other about, you know, how that makes you feel and how we should respond as, as a people. So um, that stuff was fantastic. Um, the parts of the story that this isn't, it's difficult because I don't want to fault this for the show, but like, you can tell that there was some something else going on in the story that kind of chopped the show up a bit in the center uh, with regards to um, the Flag Smashers and Sharon Carter. There was a lot there that something was missing and there were a lot of puzzle pieces to fit there to really flesh out that story and explain what was really going on. And I felt like the Flag Smashers at the end were of no consequence and the stuff with Sharon Carter doesn't mean anything until you watch the post credit scene. Uh, and even then, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. You know, like they're talking about the power broker and the entire time, you know, they're saying that, oh, the power brokers, every time they reference the power broker, they're using male pronouns. And that doesn't have to be that way. That could have been a disguise of some sort or whatever for her. But it was just weird that the power broker is this mysterious hidden figure. And then it turned out that it was Sharon Carter the whole time, you know, but then there's no explanation for why she's the power, power broker. How did she become the power broker? You know, and there's some parts there at the end with the post credit scene that maybe explain, maybe show that we might get that later on. Uh, but as far as the show did for setting up the reveal of her being the power broker, it was super underwhelming. You know, I was like, I wasn't upset with it. I'm like, if she's the power broker, that's fine. I think that is an interesting arc for her character to come from S.H.I.E.L.D. and survive, you know, have be, be still still be loyal after S.H.I.E.L.D. had been taken over by Hydra, helping out Captain uh, America and Sam and Bucky and Civil War, 
you know, choosing sides and having to go into hiding and whatever, you know, like it, it's a neat arc for her to have been this good person to then completely flip to the other end. It just, they didn't cover that flip well enough, if at all, like you meet her and things are real weird and mysterious with her. And then all of a sudden she's the power broker and it's like, what, but why, why wasn't this covered? So a lot was chopped up there and weird. And I think those are the parts of the story that I would have liked to have seen them either flesh out or, you know, fix somehow it's too late now, but I feel like they chopped that up a little too much and the flag smashers and Sharon Carter suffered because of it. Everything else though was fantastic. Hey, Hey, nothing, nothing is too late to fix. If Disney plus can go back and retroactively take t-shirt guy out of both this show and Mandalorian, they can fix anything. This is true. One thing I think the story did well though, was set up some interesting things post this show um a character that we completely missed who's only in the show for like a total of two minutes who did an absolutely amazing job is julie louise dreyfus as i don't remember her entire name but content that's the contessa so one of you guys can look it up here in a minute as i'm talking about her but she did contessa valentina allegra de fontaine because i wrote yes. it down <laughs> or val but don't nope. call her val exactly <laughs> She did an incredible job and I wanted so much more of her in this show, but I feel like she was a tease on purpose. I think we're going to get a lot more of her later. And that is something the story did to get me really excited about what is to come. What's going to happen with John Walker's U.S. agent? What's going to happen with Val? Please don't kill me. (laughs) You know, those are the things that I'm really excited about. Is it going to be Thunderbolts? I don't know. It's funny because like when you when I see a lot of things like about it being Thunderbolts and all these other different, you know, connections that she could be uh, Madam Hydra and all this kind of stuff. Like these are all things that are real, like not deep cuts, but like you have to be comic book fans to get. And I don't know if Marvel is headed in that direction. That's going to be specifically Thunderbolts right away. But who knows? It does have me excited, though, because. I need more of Julie Louise Dreyfus in the MCU. She did a fantastic job. So I am sorry, so sorry, Julie, for for getting you earlier in the casting characters section. Uh, She definitely deserved to be mentioned there because she's only in the show for two minutes and it's like almost the best two minutes of the entire series. I mean, honestly, if you really want more of her that much, just go watch uh, Veep on HBO. She's basically playing a riff on that same character that she did on there, but... Yeah, overall, going into the show, I guess, based on the trailers, I just, I expected that it was going to be, hey, it's going to be the show that everybody who wanted WandaVision to be another Marvel movie, well, Falcon and Winter Soldier is going to be your next Marvel movie. And that's sort of what it felt like at times for most of it. Like, yeah, it had its times to slow down and stuff, but eh, so did the Marvel movies, too which sort of disappoints me in a way because WandaVision ended up being something that was just so different and shows that they could do different things with the TV or streaming format. So it's, it's not necessarily that I did not like Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I just didn't maybe like it as much as I ended up liking WandaVision. And theoretically, hopefully the upcoming Loki series looks like it's also going to have a bit of a different bent to it as well. I I don't know that I'm going to be revisiting 
Falcon and the Winter Soldier anytime soon, or even if I do, I don't know if I'm going to revisit it as much as I might say revisit WandaVision, which again is not a saying that the series is bad. Uh, it it also definitely seems like it just like most of the MCU stuff wants to set up a bunch of things, be it a theoretical thunderbolts or something similar with villains turning heroes or forced into being heroes, kind of like a DC Suicide Squad. Pretty sure Suicide Squad came first, comic-wise. Anyway, there, there's a lot of things they could have been setting up here. Uh, the Sharon Carter stuff definitely needed more time to simmer. It sort of recontextualizes i guess a lot of her stuff back in civil war if, if you go back and watch it it seemed like they sort of just abandoned her to make room for the big superhero fights in the last third of that movie like she just disappears and we don't see her again so i don't know maybe she felt like she was just abandoned by everybody and rightfully is a bit scorned but like I said earlier in this review, the, the thing I would have really wanted more was a bit more focus on the Flag Smashers and, and what their whole deal is. We get sort of an abbreviated version of it. They just, it seemed like if they'd given them more time, we could have seen more of their point of view and kind of understand more of what they're trying to do instead of rushing into like, hey, they're the main mystery slash villain of the show and we have to make them into proper bad guys right quick. So I think, I think that was kind of a disservice to them because they had a genuine beef of like the world. They've gotten so used to how things were. And I don't know. It's a lot of stuff that I probably couldn't understand because we don't live in a world where people, half the world got snapped away and then all of a sudden came back. And as an aside, that is still a really weird uh, plot decision that Marvel decided to make. Like, I don't know if they fully thought through all the consequences of that. I guess in a way it's good we're getting all these series that will sort of, ex you know, explore all of that. I don't know. Again, I thought the series was fine. Just not anything that I guess maybe spoke to me personally a lot. And that's fine. It It speaks to a lot of other people so it seems to be the most popular thing on disney plus at the moment we'll see if maybe loki will knock it off when it comes out or even black widow which will be the next movie proper since that's going to have a split disney plus and theater release i feel like uh wandavision was kind of like the experimental child and that they're like okay we're doing a an mcu tv show so we can do it as a tv show and let's try something a little different, see what the audience like. And on the offhand, they don't care for it as much. We'll have an actual like sequence after that that will be more action-y and more what the general audience will be expecting. And yet prior to COVID, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was the one that was announced as coming out first. Oh. And then it got pushed back because obviously you look at WandaVision, they had just a lot of like soundstage sets that they could build off of as opposed to falcon and winter soldier had it looks like a lot of overseas location shoots that they had to do so covid was going to affect that a lot more than it would have wandavision gotcha okay i was wrong <laughs> uh one other thing i want to point out with the story and i know a lot of people are probably going to disagree with me on this is the whole john walker actually taking the super serum and i want to bring this up because we as an audience, we don't see him take the serum, even as a flashback. 
John Walker never acknowledges that he takes the serum. Val does say, oh, yeah, I know you took the serum, but really, can we trust her? You know, he doesn't deny it. He doesn't acknowledge it either when she mentions it. So he could just be holding his, the cards close to his chest. And I feel like a lot of the, the super soldier things he does could almost be explained as just adrenaline rushes. And I bring this up because when he gets to that tipping point, when he kills the one flag, when he kills the one flag smasher because of Battlestar getting killed, I feel like he's a, a the kind of guy that would be all or nothing. Either he is going to use all of his super strength, or he's not. You know, because like in the first episode where we really see him, episode two, he is very charismatic. I feel, and like I don't feel like he's trying to deceive anybody. He's trying to be himself. He's trying to present exactly as he wants to be and not hide anything. And then as time goes on, we see that he wants to be stronger and stronger. And I feel like if he really did take the serum at some point, he would have been way stronger and he would not have been able to restrain that at all. It would have done way more collateral damage and would have killed way more people than what he ended up actually doing. So I just I want to point out he never acknowledges that he took this super serum. We only have Val saying that we can't necessarily trust her. And really, it, and how long did he have that arm brace on after they broke his arm to take the shield? You know, it's like, I feel if he was super shoulder, that might have healed faster. And I don't think he's the kind of guy who would necessarily, like, try to deceive people that he's not a super soldier by wearing the cast longer. To be fair, he we see him at the end of the episode that he gets the same cast working on making his own, you know, fake Captain America shield. So I would say that healed pretty quick. Personally, to me, there is no ambiguity here. He took the serum. Like I said, not a lot of people are going to agree with me on this. I still think there is ambiguity because he could just be steadying the shield with a broken hand and then using his other hand to hammer it. I, I think they hammer home the point, especially when it said, I I almost want to say, I think I remember them mentioning it in this, in this series. Maybe it was a point that Zemo brought up, but the whole like the serum is supposed to bring out, you know, the inner you or amplify a lot of who you are. Hence why in the original Captain America movie, it was a point of like, hey, they wanted a good man to take it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I guess you could get a bit fudgy with the fact that this is, you know, not a tainted version of the serum, but a, hey, we had to make do what we could with knockoffs of the serum that we gave to a bunch of the test subjects, including Isaiah Bradley. The point being the fact that he had to go tone total with the, uh, the flag smashers who up to this point were pretty much wrecking definitely wrecking sam who we know did not take it i would say that it would point to walker had to have taken it to go toe-to-toe with these guys let alone bash them with the shield and kill them like he did mm-hmm. i that i would not chalk that up to adrenaline if i'm wrong let me know say in the comments below show me which episode where it is definitive proof that he took the super serum because again, I still think it's ambiguous. Again, I know a lot, a lot of people are going to agree with me on that. So please, if there is definitive evidence, comment. Because again, I just rewatched it this morning and I still saw nothing that showed him taking the serum or him um, acknowledging, yes, I took the serum. Right. I mean, I get where I get where you're coming from, Nathan. Like they don't show him take it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't ever admit that he actually took it. But there are a couple things and one that stands out the most that kind of like you that tells me that he took it that doesn't feel like an adrenaline thing is when he is fighting one of the flag smashers i want to say it's either i want to say it's just before battlestar gets killed 
he takes a pipe and mm-hmm. like bends it completely around mm-hmm. short of mother lifting a car off of her children. I don't know that that's anything an adrenaline feat would accomplish. I, I get you. And, and he does go toe to toe with the flag smashers in the final fight. So, I mean, there's, while I agree that the show did not do a good job of making it clear whether or not he took it, I do think there are enough things that he's doing that at least tell me mm-hmm. he took it. Whoa, are you saying, bro, that you can't bend a lead pipe? That's not <laughs> your daily routine, bro. <laughs> no, I can't. I, I fail arm day every time. So long and short of it, unfortunately, Nathan, it sounds like we got a two to one here, at least among the three of us. Mm-hmm. Please, internet, continue to tell Nathan he is wrong. Yes, I want to be wrong. I just, I hate that there was no actual admit admittance that he took the serum. And I'm with you there. And that's part of the issues that I have with the story where things got cut and rushed in ways that kind of, you know, fail certain characters. Uh, there should have been a moment where John Walker had to admit that he took it and reckon with the decision to take it. Like that would have been a good scene for him to have with his wife. Yeah. Maybe where he had to, you know, like after, after uh, Val leaves uh, and she's like, what do you mean that, you know, I heard her say something about the serum. What do you mean that you take it? And that he admits that he took it, you know, kind of a, just, again, it would have helped his redemption arc too, for him to admit that because he lies to Battlestar's family <laughs> that um that the guy nico that he kills killed battlestar you know so like it would have been good for him to come back and admit yeah i took the serum yes it brought out the worst in me no that guy didn't kill uh battlestar and i'm gonna have to spend the rest of my life as u.s agent making up for that right this is the good that i can make out of the bad that i have done or the bad decision of taking the serum I totally agree. His redemption would have felt better if he had acknowledged I took the serum and it made me somebody I did not want to be. So there I am with you, but he definitely took it, Nathan. (laughs) Anybody have any final thoughts that we didn't cover already? Um, I think when we went over the story and expectations, I think we all talked a lot about, you know, we summed up pretty well whether or not we liked the show, but, you know, just for the sake of formality, you know, I'll wrap up by saying I thought the show was great. Despite its flaws and its story, I enjoyed it. And there's a lot of good stuff here, a lot of great content that'll make it worth watching. Like James, I don't know that I'll be rushing back to see it. I do know that I will want to watch it again. I just, I'm not in a mad rush to watch it again like I was with WandaVision. And again, it's just, it's most of those issues with the story and the rushing of certain arcs that I felt they could have done better. But uh, there's plenty of there in the visuals and the fight choreography and some of the character stuff going back again. Wyatt Russell's performance is amazing. I forgot to mention this earlier when Nathan was gushing about his performance that you could see like the change in his character and stuff. Like he does things where like in the background where like he twitches and there's movements in his face that you can see this character becoming unhinged. Those are the things that are going to make me want to come back and watch that show again to see some of those details and stuff that I maybe had missed. So overall, Great show. Yeah, I pretty much summed up my thoughts earlier with the story and all. Again, I don't see myself revisiting it anytime soon. It's, you know, thinking about it again, the weekend after the last episode came out, they made a big to-do about, they didn't say it this way, but it was popular enough that they had greenlit a Captain America 4 with Anthony Mackie, you know, headlining it as the new Captain America 
uh, Sam Wilson, Falcon, whatever. So, and they made a big point to be like, you know, just like with a lot of the Marvel things, it's like, oh yeah, you you won't have to have been, you won't ha- need to have seen the series to need to see the new Captain America movie. And so it even just, it, it's making it like, not that it makes this series pointless or anything. It still had a lot of good things that it talked about, but it's just like, huh. So basically anybody who would have known that at the end of Endgame, he got the shield for all they know. Okay. He just went to immediately being Captain America instead of, you know, having these six episodes to realize, Oh, well, wait, he gave away the shield, but then he just got it back. Isn't that weird? I don't know. That might recontextualize things a bit. Again, it's worth a watch. If you've got Disney Plus already, go ahead and watch it. Yeah, I probably won't watch it again until like the next Captain America movie does come out or another movie or TV show that uh, has one of these characters that featured in the show in that new uh, media, whatever it may be. Because again, it was fun and I enjoyed rewatching it back to back to back because the first time I watched it was Peacebill when every episode was released. But it, it was a good romp for one go through. Terrible time! Okay, um, so that's us talking about Falcon and Winter Soldier. Let's go ahead and switch over to what we've called Terrible Times, and we just kind of review real quickly things that we personally have been kind of watching on our own or looking into, reading, writing, whatever. Um, I'll go ahead and start, and I just got done watching, binge-watching The Owl House on Disney Plus as well. It's the cartoon. Uh, it's from the same creators as Gravity Falls, if I read everything correctly about that. And it's just a great magical story that has a lot of real-world topics going on nowadays so it feels like one of your kind of classical style stories of a girl who is unsure about herself in school finds a magical portal to a magical realm learns is trying to learn to become a witch but she deals with the still everyday problems that we have in the world we have right now and it's such a refreshing twist on it and of course all the characters are brilliant i don't remember any of the actors off the top of my head but every single one is doing a fantastic job voicing their characters uh, especially whoever does the house his name is Hoot Hoot, and he's an owl. And he's definitely one of those kind of characters that you love to hate because he could just think, kind of think, interrupt. Isn't it, actually, isn't it actually Hootie? Is it Hootie? I think you're I'm right. Pretty yeah, sure not it's Hootie. Hootie. He just goes, Hoot Hoot. Yeah, it's got to be Hootie. My apologies. But yeah, he just interrupts himself in whenever he wants to because, of course, he's just a house and nobody cares about him except for whenever he can't, you know, hold the roof above everybody's head. So. I uh, finished watching the season finale of Invincible on Amazon Prime. I talked about the show last time. It is very graphic, very adult, not for children. It is animated. It is not an animated show for kids. So please do not watch it with your children, especially the finale. Uh, it is very brutal, but it is a fantastic show. I, I don't know. It's it's just very addicting and uh, the finale was fantastic. It was just greenlit for two more seasons. So I am definitely looking forward to seasons two and three. It It's just great. The voice acting on the show is fantastic. And there isn't anything about the show that I don't like. It's been wonderful. And I can't wait for season two and three. Yeah, what's interesting about uh, the Invincible finale and the first season in general is the comic, which has finished its run, so they have all the material they need to work with. They don't need to, it's not going to be a situation of like a Scott Pilgrim where only half the material is available when they start adapting it. They know exactly where everything is going in a roadmap. 
But out of the 144 issues, uh, the stopping point for the first season is sort of only about 12 or 13 issues in, I think, when the big, you know, spoiler thing happens and a big fight occurs. But at the same time, they also adapt little bits and rearrange things to where the first season actually covers maybe about 30 to 40 issues worth of content, just again, because of the rearranging of the stuff. And it was having read all the 144 issues of it. I thought it was a really good adaptation, a lot better than I thought it was going to be probably helped by the fact that these are, you know, hour long, 45 minute long episodes, whatever, as opposed to, I just assumed going in, it's going to be an animated thing. They're just going to shortchange it and give it the old 20, 25 minutes. But no, these are actual full on. Again, it's an adult series. No, no kids in the pool, please. And it's really good. And you should probably go ahead and read the comics, Robert, if you have the time. I have two children. I don't have time. You have time to do this. That's about all the time that I have. And hey, I rented them free from the library digitally. I'm sure you could find some time during your work day. <laughs> we know how hard you work. For any of the audio people, I was just putting up air quotes now. You can't actually see them. <laughs> As for my terrible times, I guess I'm going to go ahead and spread the streaming love. We had Nathan talking about something you could find on Disney Plus. Robert's referring to an Amazon Prime series. Mine isn't a series so much as it just happens to be available on HBO Max. So, yeah, after watching the Snyder Justice League stuff, uh, month ago at this point i guess it occurred to me like oh yeah i used to watch a lot of the original animated movies that dc was putting out and then i just lost track of them and i believe it was either last year or the year before i think it was 2019 they had a run of movies that were all in continuity together telling one giant story so i figured hey they're all available on hbo I'm going to go ahead and make my way through them slowly, but surely. So I've made my way through two of them so far, both from 2014, Justice League War and Son of Batman. Uh, this whole continuity that these movies are in, they're loosely based on the new 52 run of DC's comics, which mm, they're, they're very hit or miss or miss or miss. But the movies are you know, not too bad. I think I've seen out of the 14 or 15 that are available, I think I saw the first three before I sort of fell off. So it'll be really interesting to go back through and watch these because apparently with the last few, they actually go ahead and hit it out of the park. They do some what are supposed to be pretty good adaptations of the death and return of Superman and Batman Hush. For anybody who's read those comics, I hear these are pretty good adaptations. So I look forward to seeing those when I get to them. Thanks for joining us for our review of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We'd like to know your thoughts. Be sure to leave them in the comments below. Or if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast app, you can check out our Facebook page. Just search for This Is Going To Be Terrible Podcast and leave us feedback there. No matter what, feel free to give us a like, subscribe, hit the bell, leave us a review, shout about us from the rooftops, whatever you'd like, just within reason. We appreciate feedback from you, our audience. Who knows? Maybe you can get to a shout out from us in our next episode. And I'll wrap up with a Falcon related joke. Anthony Mackie was born in 1978. If he was just a few years younger, he could have been 
the millennial falcon. Bye. I, I think the only appropriate response to that is just that's what a falcon sounds like, right? Anyway, bye from James. I normally say be good to each other out there, but after that joke, jump on Robert. Bye. <laughs>